NZ Aerosports, Icarus Canopies, now Gyro. That's right, we've rebranded, and Gyro is our next generation. It honours our founder, as that's the name we knew him by, but Gyro also marks the start of a new chapter. And not to be biased, but it's going to be fucking epic. Long story short, we're more us than ever. So if you're new to the sport, or even a Sky God Ninja Turtle, welcome. I think our valiant leader Lucy, Gyro's daughter, Says it best. And we still got that fuck your attitude. <laughs> Rebrand! Woo! Rebrand woo indeed, Lucy. Anyway, head over to gyro.com for more info and get amongst your legends. I was 19, broke, unemployed, and sold my girlfriend's canopy for drug money. So, I thought I'd better sell her a new one. What a sentence and what a story. This describes the humble yet outrageous beginnings of NZ Aerosports, the home of Icarus Canopies, in the words of our founder himself. From getting a paratrooper toy from his mom, watching parachutes at the DZ as a six-year-old, jumping off the wharf with a parachute made from bedsheets, doing his first jump at 16, sewing his first canopy on a borrowed machine at 19, and starting to sell parachutes out of a garage in 1986, Paul Gyro Martin had an undying love for the sky. Our company started with one man with the wildest of spirits in a true blue sky dream, a renegade. In the time that Gyro created and ran the Icarus Canopies brand until he passed away in 2017, he pushed everything he had to its limits. We miss him and we always will. Gyro is the next generation of NZ Aerosports. It honors our founder, of course, because it was the name we all knew him by, but Gyro the rebrand also marks the start of a new chapter, our next jump. Gyro is the space between sound and silence, art and science, chaos and calm. Gyro is a state of epic tranquility that transcends understanding. That moment, in the door, in free fall, mid-swoop, where nothing but the present exists. A perfect balance of euphoria and thrill. Gyro captures our passion for flying and our commitment to designing break-the-fucking-rules canopies that deliver pilots pure, wild flight. Coming straight from the cockpit, it's another episode of Lunatic Fringe with the fucking pilot. Ready, set, go! Back in the can for another edition of Lunatic Fringe of the Void. Cheers, gentlemen. You've both been here before, so uh, who the fuck are you guys? Let's do this again. Omar Al-Hajlan, sitting next to David Jr. Ludwig. Cool, very cool. Well, cheers to both of you gentlemen. Thank you for coming back in. We're here to, uh, to talk about an upbeat chipper subject, Death. We're gonna we're gonna knock this one off. We've uh, uh, we all kind of sat down and talked about the fact that uh, although we deal with it all the time, we don't seem to talk about it too much. Or if we do, Scott Evers glaze over it. So I thought uh, um, this would be a really good setting to be able to hammer out all the shit that's happened over. Well, fuck. I mean, collectively, we've been skydiving for what eighty years. 
70, 80 years. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Fucking hell. Jesus, that's a long time. I mean, this guy next to me is a little bit uh, older than <laughs> So, hey, what's your words here, buddy? Hey, let's not start talking around, uh, tossing around the age insults anytime here soon. So, hey, for once I'm the young guy, I'm, I'm going to I'm gonna you know, soak this in a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. do as much as you can. <laughs> All right, so, I mean, there's not really any way to segue into this because uh, obviously as skydivers, we deal with something that most – and we'll just call them normal people. <laughs> Most normal people deal with on a dramatically smaller scale than we do. So I think we've got um, unique coping mechanisms, or at least we're used to having to cope with this. And I really want to talk about how how we deal with things the, the way that we do. And I'm sure you guys have noticed too. It's It's a unique thing. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree with you. I think that other than us, the biggest group, uh, the biggest segment out there that has to deal with it is the military. Sure. So uh, it, it's something that is pretty taboo and nobody really wants to talk about it. It's something yeah. you want to put in the back burner. We all know it happens, but no one really wants to tackle the issue and speak openly about it. Sure, sure. Well, it's it's kind of a, um, okay, yeah, that happened. Acknowledge it. Now move on. You know, so we acknowledge it and, and we pay our respects. But I think that's the other fucking weird thing is that in the day of social media now, it's... You put up the black picture and you say your condolences and that's as public as it gets. And then you deal with it on your own. You know, I mean. And I think we're I think we experience it so much um, throughout our careers and throughout you know our lives that I think we're a little bit, like you said, more accustomed to it. And we kind of get numb to it. Sure. Well, I mean, with you guys for family or friends that are not in skydiving. How do they react to the way you react to it? Because I know for me personally, my friends or family members that aren't in skydiving cannot figure out how I cope with constant loss. Because in their minds, I'm almost always posting a memorial. It's almost always me saying goodbye to somebody. Yeah, I mean, definitely. I, and I've realized it a little bit with injury as well. Like we as a community, when when somebody gets injured, we want to look at the video. We want to see what happened, how it happened, why it happened. Um, and most people don't really understand that yeah. as much. And I, I came into it with my own personal life with um, my, my best childhood friend. His, uh, his son got injured mountain biking, which mm. we got to get them on the, on the podcast. One of these days <laughs> sure. A little uh, badass mountain biker. And he, he got pretty seriously injured. And my thought is, okay, you're okay. Um, you're healing up. Nothing, nothing, you know, beyond the surgery, like he, he'd ruptured his spleen and stuff like that. And it's one of those, okay, you're, what happened? Sure. And I had, I actually asked him, like, was there a video of it? And it kind of like freaked him out a little bit <laughs> you wanted when, to I see. Asked, when I asked about the video, because for me, that's how I learn. I, and I think, I don't know if you guys are the same, but I oh, learned sure. from watching absolutely. other people's mistakes. Sure. Oh, absolutely. Well, yeah, absolutely. It's, it, it's, um, yeah, having to deal with, uh, with the, the normal people in this regard is very, very strange. Same with you? Yeah, well, for me, it's, I don't know. You get the family and friends, obviously, that always say, you know, I'm sorry for your loss sure. like in social media and so on. But I don't really reflect too much. I, I don't show people too much of my suffering. Sure. I, I, I'm not one of those people that is very open about it. I internalize everything and sure. I try to deal with it myself. Sure. And I try to find a different perspective and look at it in a different way. Sure. You know, much like in the tarot cards, when you have the death card. Right. People are like, oh, my God, it's the death card. Well, no, no. The death card is actually a good card. Sure. Because it's the end of something, but the beginning of something else. Sure. So, uh, yeah. But for me, it's more about internalizing and actually 
dealing and mourning and feeling the pain myself. Sure. Beyond that, um, celebrating the death of the person and trying to remember all the good times and all the good things they did. Sure. The wonderful things that happened. Well, I'm. It's funny that you said uh, um, when you get the condolences from people. I hate it. I hate it Mm -hmm. when someone says, "I'm sorry for your loss," because uh, it, it almost cheapens it. Kind of. Uh, and yeah. I know that they mean well, but I know that they don't really they don't get it and they don't understand. So I'm om- I, I tend to be very reserved in um, saying anything nowadays, especially unless it's somebody, you know, that I really feel I need to voice. And that's actually what started this podcast was a, a, an extremely close friend um, from way back in the day, a guy by the name of Kevin Love, who a lot of people that are listening, I'm sure know, um, just passed away recently. And it's very strange because, and maybe you guys have the same experience, in skydiving when we lose someone, eight times out of ten, we're not there. It's long distance. It's such a big community. And there's no fucking closure when it's someone that's 5,000 miles away and you weren't there and you didn't see anything. And and so I expect him and, and other close friends from years past to just come strolling through the door. Because there's that that closure is not there. So it's really fucking weird, right? And I mean, even if you are there and you don't you don't necessarily experience it. Um, I mean, we've all been to the World Free Fall Convention. We've all seen uh, fatalities and stuff like that there, and, and other boogies. And you hear about it. You're on the drop zone, but you're not there to witness what's going on. And it still has that kind of that same kind of feeling to it. Like you're waiting for them to walk in the door. Sure. At the next boogie or. Well, for you, actually, it's kind of funny on our very first podcast. And, and this is one of the, the, the big things that skydivers do is we make light, obviously, of stuff like that. You're, there's no such thing as the phrase too soon in skydiving. You're making jokes almost as quick as you can because it's a great coping mechanism. But when you and I were talking, um, I knew that your father had passed away skydiving, but I did not know that it was at the convention. And somehow we got talking about the convention and I made a sideways comment of, oh, yeah, with the convention, it was never if somebody dies, it's how many. And that's when you uncorked the, yeah, that's where my dad died. That's where my dad died. And I just jaw on the floor going, oh, well, fuck. And and mouth and start fighting. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, he, he definitely, yeah, definitely yeah, put his foot in. But I'm, I'm very open with anybody that asks me about it, and I think, I think that's because it's the best way that people can learn. Sure. Well, um, that's one and of the it's reasons a better understanding, and that's why I'm here. That's why I'm still doing what I'm doing is because, of, because of that that day. Well, so that's what I wanted to ask you is um, specifically because that that's a different kind of loss, right? I mean, we've all lost close friends and everything, but this was not just a close friend of yours. This was your dad. Yep, my dad and my best friend. And you kept going because it's what he loved. It's what I loved it. We knew the risk. I don't think my mom, and I think I talked about this before. I don't think my mom necessarily took it the same way that, um, that I did. <clears throat> I mean, of course it's, it's tough. Um, and it, and it killed me inside, but, um, even the two of us, because my mom had that distance. My mom was, was back home in, in Michigan at the sure. time. And we were at, at the, the convention and this is when the convention moved. So it was in Rantoul. And um, because it happened and it's a big, a big operation that's going on, I had heard that somebody had um, that somebody had died and somebody said that they can't find my dad. They didn't know where, where my dad was. He didn't come from come in from the last load or whatever, blah, blah, blah. And um, I remember waiting to get the news. And, and luckily, um, one of the guys that would run the World Free Fall Convention um, medical team. 
uh, was from my home drop zone. Mm. He was a doctor that worked for uh, University of Michigan, and he was one that came in and said it was my dad. Jeez. But not being able, for me, not being able to see the body, not being able to to really be a part of it, I was very much like what you said. And there was a lot of days that I was waiting for him to walk through the door like, oh, yeah, it's just a joke. He, you know, he's going to pop in any moment. Right. And you go like that for, and it's years. Still, years. still. I don't, for anybody that, that I mean, I, there's, I've only been there for one friend who passed away and it was very in my face and very graphic. And, and I was there trying to do CPR and stuff. And, and funny enough for as horrible as that was, it was also the easiest to get past because there was no, yeah, there was no question. He's, he's gone. Okay. I need to now, now it's time to move on. And not even a week later, we're all making jokes about it. And again, like you, Omar, you deal with it in your personal way, but in that public persona especially around skydivers you're making jokes as quick as you can try and make light of it it's um it's strange it's well at the end of the day you know you've got different types of deaths Mm. and when when you lose a skydiver skydiving or base jumping well at least you take comfort in the fact that he died doing what he loves he died following his passion that makes sense it it makes total sense it's so much harder when you lose a friend to Mm. cancer Mm. when you lose a friend to suicide Mm. You know, that, that's a completely different pill to swallow. Sure. And I think this is part of the reason why we're here, to try sure. to digest these different types of death and how we deal with each one of those. Sure. And so, um, yeah, like I said, we, we, we've all lost friends skydiving. And God bless them. Yes, you feel bad that they're dead. It's, it's, a, it's a selfish thing. Mm. They're gone. Yeah. But it's us that are missing them. We miss their company. We miss the time we spent with them. So we can only reflect on the past and be super happy and try to to imagine and remember all the good times that sure. we had together. But when someone dies on a deathbed because of cancer yeah. or because of another illness, that is difficult. That is tough. That how do you swallow that pill? Yeah. And I, I still I don't have the answer. No. I don't know. I don't know if you guys do, but I personally don't. And suicide takes it that next level. Oh man, I tell you what, it's it. I react to it differently every single time and i know you guys are the same that there hasn't been a year in the last probably 20 years that i haven't either lost someone that i've met was friends with or was extremely close friends with and it's almost um you you just you're waiting for it every year you're like okay who am i saying goodbye to this year you know you see that the the black photo come up or the 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 one random person who has to be the first person to post on social media says whatever and you're just like do I know this person? What? Yep. Who was it? Or you see the, the person that put it up and you know the person. Yes. So, you, so now you're contacting them like, what happened? Who was it? What? Why is, what's a black photo for? Absolutely. And that's, well, and that's, uh, I had a great conversation with uh, um, Tracy Baum, who's a, a jumper out of Arizona. She was out of Elsinore as well. And uh, um, her husband passed away on a jump. He was a friend of mine as well. And a great friend to a lot of the Midwest skydivers. And um, when I had her on the podcast, her basic point was, please, people, stop fucking posting on Facebook or social media until after family members have been notified. She's like, yeah, Tom's nephew found out when he pulled up Facebook. That's horrible. Yeah. That is no fucking way for someone to find out that their loved one is gone. It's not. And I've been guilty of it before. And I'll tell you what, I changed my way after uh, Tracy. Um, had that conversation. I'm like, you know something that's, I never put myself in those shoes because you just want to memorialize this person. I want to show my respect for this person. And you don't realize you're doing some damage by doing that because Facebook goes everywhere. You 
know, and there's people that are seeing it that haven't found out yet. That's a fucked up way to learn. There's been a, there's been a couple of people um, in the past in the past few years that I've actually sent them messages on Facebook like, dude, what the fuck are you doing? Take down your post right now. The yep. family doesn't know. Yep. Yeah. Well, I, when I when I talked to uh, uh, Janet Love, Kevin's uh, wife, I actually she approached me to let me know what had happened. Uh, and before I talked to anybody, and I know many of Kevin's good friends as well, I asked her permission. Can I speak to anyone? I'm not going to post anything until you say it's okay. But th- there's some people I'd like to reach out to. You know, Absolutely. so I made sure I had permission to do that. You know, it's and. Again, you never know how anybody else is going to react. We all react in different ways. I never know from one to the next how I'm going to react. I am so, so grateful um, to the fact that social media wasn't a thing when my dad died because the news would have beat me home. Yeah. Without a doubt. And I would have probably wanted to kill that person. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Whoever was the first to to post something up and to have my mom find out or have a family member find out like that. It's just, it's uncalled for. Well, and again, um, back to your point, Omar, um, for the non-skydivers that see, you know, a, sky, a jumper die jumping, I don't think that they see it the same way that we do. You know, I mean, it, it, it must seem almost as useless a death to a lot of people as a suicide or a car wreck, you know, Absolutely. which Absolutely. so it's very difficult, right, to try and explain to people this is what I choose, and I know the risks. And I think maybe when you're just getting started in skydiving, you don't really soak up the risks until it's hit home. And how's it hit home? It's by fatality, right? And that's one of those things, like, you you go to a lot of drop zones out there, and because skydiving has gotten pretty safe, I would say, the the, the gear right. continues to get safer. Yeah. Um, people have a tendency to, to be a little bit smarter with what's going on. There's a lot of drop zones out there that people don't, know what it's like to actually lose a friend Mm. and it's i think it's different um when you lose somebody like i i I first started skydiving and i started skydiving and a a couple weeks after i started skydiving um there was an accident Mm. um, on the drop zone i wasn't there that day but apparently um one of the older jumpers had a had a um malfunction cut away and had a had a malfunction with his reserve it was a it was an old round reserve um Lopo with a with a half diaper and and he spiraled into the ground mm. and as bad as that was i i didn't know him i wasn't there and then a few months later there was a king air crash at a near beam drop zone where everybody on board died sure um and that was completely different i knew those guys sure um, i knew i'd known um the, the 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 kids from from the pilot uh, you know the pilot that was flying yeah all of his all you know three he had uh three three kids and I knew them because they were they were close to close to my age and stuff. So it's a little bit different when you when you experience something like that when you're newer in the sport. It gives sure. you a, a bit of a um, a little bit more respect for the sport, I think. Sure. Well, I had that same reality check very early in the sport as well. Um, I had I think less than twenty jumps in the gear that I rented all the time. Um, a, a fellow that had graduated not too long before me got caught up in a dust devil. And ended up getting killed. Um, and when I went out the next week to make the jump, I found out as I'm putting on the gear that he died on the gear that I was putting on. And that was a bit of a reality check. You know, that's... Yeah, I had a, a bit of a reality check like that as well <clears throat> when I was going through my rigor course. Um, I was doing my, my rigor certification course and um, only to find out that the the gear that I was 
actually inspecting and going through was the was Roger Nelson's gear. Oh wow, wow! And, and the the rigor examiner told me about it. Like after I was done with it, I was just like, it was that moment of oh, sure, oh shit, like yeah, that realism of of what I was dealing with. And how about you? Was it early in the sport for you that you kind of realized what was at stake? You know, I always knew about it, uh, but it didn't touch me up until probably my third year. So well, yeah. It was the uh, I had a, a death, a very close friend that died about three years hmm. into it, and then since then, you know, I've been twice I've been next to a dead body, one giving CPR, yeah, and another one just dealing with everything and worst of all things, having to call his wife who oh. was pregnant at the time to let her know because she wanted to come to the drop zone, and I'm like, there's nothing for you to see. It was a low hook turn right into the tarmac. It wasn't a pretty sight. Yeah, and. Talk about the hardest phone call I've ever made in my life. I can't even imagine. Yes. To this day, I still feel that I did a bad job and I could have done it so much better. And there's so many things I could have done differently. And, sure. You know, you're you're always your own worst critic. But, uh, yeah. It, it's rough. That's not the way to think about it, though. No, no, you absolutely can't, you not. You can't think about it like that. You did, but, you did the best that you could do in that situation. But still, that's what it's exactly what's going to happen. You're going to beat yourself up because we're the ones that are still here to beat up. You know, I mean, it's it, we've got to, to deal with the rough memories because yeah. you're dealing with it, and then you're having to do that as well. And, oh, absolutely, man, it's absolutely. Do you guys find that you um, react differently every time? I don't. I don't want to say I'm colder, but I guess I am. I'm colder. I am. I. I, I that has to be the word. Yeah. Yeah, I'm. I I definitely uh, I definitely reacted different each each time. It's different each time. I feel like uh, I'm a little bit more switched off during the situation. First time I was on the drop zone for a fatality, I remember um, after the fact that the drop zone, everybody on the drop zone was devastated. It was a um, skydive Las Vegas, so it was a relatively small drop zone, mm-hmm. um, and uh, everybody's wiped out. There's people crying. The guy was a visitor skydiver, but it doesn't matter. Somebody just died. Um, and there's two pretty salty Englishmen sitting down eating cold spaghetti and shooting the shit back and forth. And they're both close friends of mine, but they'd been in the sport and both been in the military. So they'd some, seen some shit and, uh, um, they were very casual about it. And one of the girls on the drop zone that was really busted up, um, made a comment along the lines of how can you guys just sit there and eat? And I'll never forget it. One of them looks up and with a very straight face just says, well, he's still dead, isn't he? And I remember thinking, that's the coldest fucking thing I've ever heard. I can't believe he just said that and cut to not even a dozen years later. That's the first thought there going through my mind. You know, as a pilot, um, when I am told to hold the drop because something happened, my question is always the same, broken or dead? Because if they're just broken, okay. Keep it going. Yeah, absolutely. If they're dead, it means more paperwork, but keep it going. It's So it's really weird, right? I mean, some of them still, if it's close, though, it still hits home. The first, uh, the first time I was on the drop zone for something like that was actually, I think, one of the one of my first World Freefall conventions. So it was either it was either nine or nine or two thousand, and you know, fatality happens. Everything shuts down for thirty minutes, forty five minutes until they can do what they have to do with the you know with the medical team coming out and everything, and then props are turning and people are jumping again. And I just kind of looked and I was with my dad at the time, and I kind of looked and I was like, man, this. It's pretty fucking cold. Yeah. And well, you guys have seen it over yeah. all the years. Every time there's a there's a public fatality in skydiving, there's a spike in business. Yeah. There's more tandems. 
more people want to come out and jump because um, what has been perceived as a relatively safe sport all of a sudden is risky and edgy again. Uh, oh, my God, somebody died. Let's go. But that's I suppose that's just human nature. Yeah, it's always like that, though. After, you know, as soon as the pandemic kind of lifted up a little bit, we said we saw things kind of lightening up and the lockdown started going away. What were people doing? They were getting out to the drop zones and they were they were making tandem skydives again. Yep. Same thing. Um, I've seen it from all the job zones I used to work at that as soon as an incident is in the newspaper, regardless of what it is. Oh, yeah. Skydiving wise, when when uh, grandma almost fell out of the out of the tandem in Lodi, <laughs> man, we had we had the busiest next month and a half, two months and that we've seen. Yeah. At, at my old job zone for for years. It's a trip. I don't know if you guys remember the a very old movie from the late 60s, early 70s, The Gypsy Moth. Yeah, oh, God, yes. <laughs> Fucking epic movie. <laughs> and and it, that, it brings about that exact same point. Right after Burt Lancaster dies from flying that wingsuit, the next day is the 4th of July. Yep. And here comes the parade. The guy turns the corner, the band leader, and there's no one there. Why? Because everybody went to the drop zone to see the next guy trying to fly that suit again. Yep. So case in point. It's a trip. Well, and that's part of the um, the, the fact that we deal with it in um, – joking ways and we make light of it so quickly i think it helps quite a bit but it's that morbid morbid curiosity that the non-jumpers have and i I don't know i mean it's so strange to see us deal with it and see skydivers completely avoid dealing with it that's the big thing right is i think a lot of the time you make the joke and then people just don't cope with it and then it kind of comes back to haunt them i mean this is it's no joke the shit that we deal with and and death has been a constant companion my entire career, just like I'm sure it is your guy's career. It's weird too. Cause in, I read a post on Facebook um, maybe a week ago. Um, and uh, a guy was talking about death being something he thinks about every single day. Uh, and at first as I'm reading it, I'm like, well, that's a little overstated. And then I started thinking about it and I'm like, maybe that's, maybe that's not so overstated as I'm flipping through Facebook and I have constant reminders of friends that are gone or or I look around my own apartment at pictures and memorial and and all this stuff of people that are gone or that a tattoo that I have that reminds me of something. And I'm, it dawned on me that no, actually I do in one way or another think about death every single day, not mine, but just the fact that it's kind of always here. Somehow our own mortality, or at least for me, my own mortality is always in the back of my mind. Mm. But I don't really think about it. I sure. know it's there. It's right. always there to remind me, but I'm not really paying attention to it. Sure. Although the mortality of others around keeps coming back every single day. Like sure. you said, pretty much one way or another. You know, especially with social media. How many times we go through posts or posts come up? Oh, here's a reminder from 10 years ago. And yeah. you're like, oh my God, there's three people in, in that, that photo, photo that, aren't, that are no longer with us. Yeah. And, you know, that that's tough. But you know what? Again, celebrate their life. Is, sure. Is all I can do is change my perspective. Sure. And be positive about it. On a point that you were talking about, about how much safer our equipment is, not just our equipment, our mentality also. Mm. I remember when I started jumping, everybody was pulling a 2.5. <laughs> Yep. Now, now all of a sudden, two five, not two. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Exactly. Good point. And now, all of a sudden, everyone's pulling a three five four. Yeah. Which is makes a huge difference. Oh yeah. You guys know about how much of a difference that makes. Oh damn right. But uh, yeah, so I think the mentality has changed, not just equipment, and for the better. I agree. I agree absolutely. It's uh, um, here you go. Have yourself a pour. I don't do these things sober. Are you kidding? (laughs) Especially not this one. 
Well, that was the um, it, it was it was really weird um, when I found out um, that Kevin had passed. Uh, he and I um, started uh, I started skydiving with him. That was the very very beginning. The first video I ever shot um, was wearing his camera helmet. The second video was him doing a four way with Lou Sandborn for Christ's sakes. So I got to do a lot of really cool stuff with this. And as upset as I was, I kept going back to the fact that all the memories that I was having of him. Just made me fucking laugh. Even the shitty ones, even the arguments and the stupid shit that we did, I had to just kind of grin. And it's uh, it's so, I guess the one word that I came up with for my entire skydiving career is bittersweet. It's very bittersweet, right? Because, I mean, it's the best yeah, memories of my life wrapped up with the fucking worst occurrences. Yeah. It's so strange. So I, I never really real, I never really know how I'm going to react to any given fatality. And I don't handle death particularly well. Um, it, any death, it doesn't matter, bothers me, but only on a superficial level to anybody else but me. And, and here's the thing about we're all pretty much, to a certain extent, expats here. Yeah. And so when we lose someone, we're so many miles away that most ch chances are we can't even go for their funeral. No. We can't go for their services. We can't go see them. We can't go see the family. Yeah. We have to do everything by phone. And yeah. it's just... It's just not the same. It's never real. And it brings a lot of guilt. Sure. I don't know if you feel the same way, but I definitely do. Oh, absolutely. Well, and you feel guilty because you can't go and you can't show support for the people that are still here. Like, I would love to go back uh, for a memorial for Kevin. It's never going to happen. Yep, it's, yep. I'm never going to get to be there. And so you, you try and do as much as you can, but it feels very hollow. Yeah, right? absolutely. It feels like you're not like you can't really support them and the family as much as you'd want to. Sure. And I mean, it's, it is difficult. I mean, traveling around as much as we do. And I mean, I've I've experienced death in, in other countries with with friends that were, you know, that had passed away and stuff like that. Sure. And it's it's always difficult. Um, and it's even more so when when you're when your plans, you can't just up and change your plans because you have a flight to go to. Sure. To get back to wherever because you got to go back to work and, you know. Other places aren't necessarily um, your job might not be as, as understanding or you might sure. not have the ability to 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 change everything at the last minute with with flight details and everything else. So it's kind of it's kind of a little bit difficult with, sure. with that stuff as well. Well, you know, the other thing that I thought about, too, is um, the majority of um, skydiving fatalities that have happened are also happening during a time when we are going big and having a blast and working our asses off and jumping constantly and so your chances are having a pretty amazing time in your own life. And then here comes this fucking left hook of tragedy. You know, um, I had uh, um, I was jumping in Wildwood doing a, a special boogie that we did out there when the swoop tour used to be out there. Yep. Yeah. And we were doing um, tandems out of the Alouette helicopter out of uh, the Cross Keys helicopter. And one of my good friends and instructors in Cross Keys, her and her boyfriend were both killed on one jump. Uh, in cross keys and we did not stop operating just 30 miles away um and it kept doing those tandems and i remember climbing on board that helicopter to do that first tandem hours after she had died was fucking horrifying and how do you how do you explain to your tandem student while you're fighting back tears i was bawling in free fall but of course as soon as the student's back on the ground and unhooked it's back to pro and big smiles and all that stuff fucking weird right it is i mean one of the one of the coolest skydives of my entire life happened the same day that one of my best friends died i mean and 
we're coming back on this on the highest high that you could ever possibly be from doing this amazing skydive. You know, we did we did base XRW and held it and flew it for a long time. We get back and we find out that one of our best friends is dead. It's fucking crazy, right? I mean, it's so hard to balance those two because they're just it's both emotions all the time. And uh, my girlfriend has a difficult time understanding because in the three years that she and I have been together, I've lost a couple of close friends and, and a bunch of people that I knew. Um, and I've told her from the beginning, please don't try and comfort me. Don't don't try and offer condolences to me. Just don't acknowledge it because I'll deal with this my own way. And I just kind of do my own thing. But they, it's very difficult for them to understand, right? I would not want to be in her shoes. Oh, absolutely. And Junior, as you said, it's a perfect juxtaposition. It's exactly what we're dealing with, meaning we've got the death, but we have to see the positive side of it. Mm. And that's exactly what you went through in that jump. And that's exactly what we deal with all the time. And and I'm exactly the same way in, in terms of that. I'm like, please don't, don't. try to don't comfort me. Just yeah. leave me alone. I, I will process it on my own in yep. my own way. Yep. And it's horrible for the partner. And <laughs> it's it's terrible. Be. It's terrible for Sherry. It's terrible for my wife. Yeah. She's the one that if something were to happen to her, she wants that and she needs that sure. from her partner. Sure. Whereas I'm the exact opposite. I'm like, I'll process it on my own, in my own way. Just please don't worry about it. And it's go ahead, go ahead. No, I mean I'm I've got the the better side of that with with my wife. I mean, Nicole's a skydiver, she's been around it just as much as we have. So um she handles it the way she handles it. I handle it the way I handle it. Sure. We're both there for each other if we need it, but we also know to give each other the space to to kind of process it on our own. And we're you want to talk? Sure. We're there to talk. If you don't want to talk, it's... Well, and I've even okay. tried. I've thought about it when I've had a loss and I'm like, all right, I'm going to I'm gonna open up. I'm going to talk to this person and I'm going to... I'm going to let them comfort me. And, and the time comes to actually do it. And I'm just frozen, just cold. I can talk about it, but it's straight faced, emotionless, just the, just the facts, man, just the facts, yeah. you know, that's all they get. And I can't fucking get that emotion to come up. As soon as they walk out the door, I'm a big puddle of fucking goo on the floor, drinking wine and fucking having all these memories and all that stuff. And you do it however you do it. But when it comes to other people, especially, Especially non-skydivers, it's just gone. I think because we're so emotionally sensible, mm. that that's the problem. We're so sensitive that we can't. We, it's either on or off. Yeah. You know, we, yeah. we can be middle of the road. Okay, <laughs> let me let me share my... No, dude, it, it, I'm either a total mess, like you said, yeah. or I'm can, I can be there talking about it, but I'm going to be cold. Yeah. I, I can't be both. Well, I suppose if you had the, the entire skydiving community was open and, and super sensitive, most of us would be walking around crying and fucking having fits. It would be horrible. It would be horrible. Most of the time. Thank God but, it's not that. Right? Right? Yeah. Well, and so that falls back to the whole sense of humor thing because I think that's a big safety net for a lot of people. And I said earlier, I don't think there's a phrase is too soon yeah. in skydiving. There clearly is. But, but. – Hundred percent, right? Yeah. You know, I mean, and I don't think any of us do it with disrespect. I think no, we do no. It, I, I think we do it with as a way of of coping. Like we're not disrespecting that person's life or disrespecting their death or anything else like that. I think it's just it's just a coping method. I think it's exactly lot, the opposite of, of showing disrespect. If anything, that's that's very much showing respect because if I went in on a skydive. I would not want people balled up in the corner having, you know, uh, emotional fits. I'd want them cracking fucking jokes at my expense. Absolutely. Just and, like when I'm remember, alive. Remembering what I what I was, not not the way I died. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Absolutely. Because that's irrelevant. 
It is. Absolutely. The, the way we die is relevant. Well, what and matters it's, is who we are and how we're remembered, how we live. Yeah. yeah. Well, and it's it's those um, those too soon groaning moments that make everybody go, oh, Jesus, he would have loved. Yeah. <laughs> right? It's those kind of jokes, you know. It, it, so it's, again, even harder for the non-skydivers or you know, not even just skydivers, but people involved in high-risk activities, soldiers and such. Absolutely. Um, I think um, for anybody that doesn't do that, it's got to be almost impossible to understand. It has to be. I don't know what my mom thinks. You know, I mean, my, my parents have, have seen me lose, I don't even know how many people. I stopped counting. Well, we've been on, our, we've been on here with our, with our moms before. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, both of us have pretty cool moms. Yeah. I mean, my mom uh, definitely understands what I do. She understands the loss. I mean, and I think as our parents get a little bit older, they, they lose more and more of their friends. But they're losing them from, I think, you know, cancer and, sure. and painful deaths and long you know, maybe maybe one of them just closes their eyes and they're lucky enough to go in their sleep. But sure. I mean, the the way the world is right now, I mean, you see people dying from from horrible illnesses. I'm much happier that my dad died the way he did. Sure. Than had he been in a in a hospital for weeks on end, dying a slow, Absolutely. painful death. That's not that's not who he was. It was he was meant to go out the way he went out, and you accept that and you respect it and you have fun with it. Sure. Sure. Well, it's definitely I really uh, have fun with it, but you know what I mean. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, over all the years, it's kind of funny because um, you, especially when you're younger, you you don't think about the consequences of a lot of things. You think you're going to live forever, and then you hit that middle ground where you realize that shit can go wrong, but uh, you don't think it's going to happen to you. And then somewhere along the lines, that transition comes where something not happening to you being a positive becomes a oh fuck. I might be 90 years old and have said goodbye to everybody. And I don't even know where that transition happened that I just woke up one morning and thought I might outlive all these people. And it's, that's crazy, right? Every time I get on the phone with my mom, I see it. My mom's like, Oh, so-and-so passed away. You know, you remember so-and-so from, from back where, you know, back in the old neighborhood, you know, her, her husband passed away from this or this one, this one's sister passed away. And it's just, I, it's so strange. I've just got, and I and I feel so bad. I'm just like, yeah, sorry about that, mom. It, it sucks, and I've got nothing else to say at this point. I mean, what's the, what's the weirdest way you've ever coped with it? Because I've had a couple of ones that just caught me out of left field. But is there has there been any instance where mentally you're just like, this is how I feel about this? I mean, it's I've had some strange ones. I mean, with Kevin, I think I just because uh, Kevin was the last one, so it's a it's the most recent in my mind. Sure, um, I think I. Once you had, I think it was actually you that, that, that sent me the message. I think so, yeah. And, and said something to me about it before I'd, I'd even heard back from the States. You were Johnny on the spot with that one. Um, and I think I just put my headphones in and I don't remember if I went for a run or a bike ride or if I went down to the gym, but I just put music in and, and that's how I dealt with it. Mm. Well, um, in, the, in the beginning anyway, it was just, it was, it was a rough few days for sure. But um, actually, I think I, I might've actually uh, called up Nicole and said something to her and she's like, why are you hitting me with this right now? Yeah. Yeah. Like you should have saved this for, for this evening. I had this. But when I got home, I'm like, yeah, I didn't even think about that. I just kind of, I just kind of overwhelmed We don't you. think about that though, right? I didn't. And I, I dumped it all on her in the, in the first thing in the morning and I felt horrible afterwards. Like, yeah, I'm so sorry. I didn't, I didn't think about anything. I just, it was just, I heard it and I needed to, to, yeah. to yeah. talk to somebody about it at that moment. She's like, just give, give Dean a call. Yeah. 
I was like, I didn't even think about that. I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry. I just ruined your morning. I love you. Have a good day. Yeah. I'll talk yeah. to you. When we, I, when I actually, home. I got shit from my girlfriend not telling her. And I'm like, but that's just kind of not how I'm wired. Like my, I know you won't understand. And I know the first thing you're going to want to do is, you know, make me feel better. And which is the last thing I want. Like, right. don't, I no, don't the whole year. I'm sorry for your loss thing doesn't apply. And I can't even explain to you exactly why. Um, cause obviously I did lose something. This was a close friend, but I, it just doesn't see, it does, that doesn't, doesn't make sense to me for some reason. I, and I don't know why. For me, the processing mechanism is more of living in the now mm. and splurging on my family, knowing that tomorrow is not guaranteed. Sure. And so I, every time I hear something bad, every time I get these kind of bad news, Boom. I, I just go and I just splurge on the family. Like, sure. Okay, what are we going to do? How are we going to do it? Okay, well, how much do we have in the bank? Let's spend it all. I mean, type of thing. <laughs> so what is it? Does Sherry go, wait a second, we're having a lot of fun. Who the fuck died? <laughs> Pretty much. Pretty much. I mean, because, I mean, like I said, tomorrow is never guaranteed. Sure. You know, and, we, and this is one thing that Skydiving has taught us. Sure. It's taught us how to live in the now. Yeah. Because we've dealt with this so many times that there, we know there's no guarantees. Well, so what, what do we have to do? Well, let's make the best of today. It makes you appreciate everything for sure. I mean, 100%. every time I want to bitch about aches and pains or another gray hair or thinning fucking hairline or all that stuff, I think of all the people that didn't get nearly this far yeah. um, and go, okay, you literally have nothing to bitch about. Every lost hair, every ache and pain is a privilege. You know, so that's, it's a very, it's a, it's a wonderful way to be able to look at it. You know, if ever ache and pain is a privilege, all three of us oh, are Jesus very privileged Christ. right now. All Extremely I know, privileged right now. all I know is they should have started a fund for an old folks home for skydivers of our generation about 20 years ago. Cause all of us are <laughs> fucked. I'm, I'm still, uh, Nicole and I are still convinced you're going to wind up living in our basement. I probably will. As long as it's a big pimp ass basement, I'm good. Uh, just keep a room for me. Please. Yeah, man. Yeah. Yeah. I've had some strange was the funniest reaction I ever had. Um, uh, I had lost touch as it goes with skydiving, you know, you'll have a close friend and then for whatever reason you end up at different drop zones and you're always close friends, but you drift apart. You don't talk anymore uh, or you talk infrequently. And uh, at the time he was my closest friend, a guy by the name of JJ Jaworski was jumping in Vegas and, and he and I were, you know, left and right hand for probably two and a half years. And I lost track and hadn't talked to him in years. And he he had gone down a bit of a rough road and, and changed up a, a bunch of stuff. Wasn't jumping anymore. And I got a message uh, that he was gone. And um, throughout being told what was going on, he had chosen to take his own life and did it in spectacular JJ fashion. Um, he was a little out there and jumped in front of a train uh, in Las Vegas, which was effective. And my very first thought was, there's a train in Las Vegas? <laughs> right? Right. That was my first thought was, there's a fucking train that goes through Las Vegas? Cause... And then it dawned on me that that was the first thing that I thought. And I'm like, oh, my God, I am so bad. But that's just how I reacted to it. Was I was not shocked that he was gone, but that somehow he found the strangest fucking way <laughs> In Vegas, of all places. And again, like you said uh, earlier, the whole um, uh, death outside of skydiving, and especially when it comes to suicide, is I don't have that mentality. So it's very, very difficult for me to understand how someone gets to that place. And so you kind of just have to take a deep breath and go, that's, I guess, what they wanted when it happened. 
and they were friends and I, you don't want them gone, but you can't second guess things for them. And there's nothing you can do to, to change it. No. Either. So, I mean, we don't have that, that type of mentality. Like I've, I've never had that, that thought has never crossed my mind. No, I can honestly say that. Like I've never had that, that thought cross my mind as long as I've been alive. No, no matter how much trouble I've been in or, or whatever throughout my life, you know, it's, it's never been a sure that that's not an option. Well, it's, it's suck it up and, and, and deal with the, the cards you got. I'm the same way, but by the same token, you can sympathize to how much pain them sure. have been going through in order Absolutely. to feel that. I mean, think about it. For things to be that bad, oh, yeah. that this is the only solution, oh, it's yeah. got to be horrible. Oh, yeah. I can't even imagine. And neither can I. And, and that's the thing. All of us, like you said, we, we haven't thought about it. We couldn't even imagine about no. thinking it. No. So that pain has had to be so out there yeah, absolutely. for that thought to cross their mind. And, f and then not only for the thought to cross their mind, but to take action. Absolutely. Because God knows we've heard of so many people who attempted sure. and aren't able to do it. Well, the attempting is just a cry for help. Well, well I think more than anything, the people that, that are that really have made their mind up, they do it and they never they never let anybody know anything well, about it. Well, you know, when it comes to that, um, I, I saw an interview and watched a, a documentary that was made about people that committed suicide jumping off the Golden Gate Bridge. So I saw it. You also, saw that. I saw it about 15 years ago. Yeah. So it was this ago. it was yeah. this horrifying, very poignant, very, um, very well done. Very graphic. They very had graphic. Footage. They Absolutely. Had there. And I'll never forget, they interviewed the one guy who jumped off the bridge and he said, the instant I let go of the bridge, I regretted it. Right. And he lived. Yep. Um, but he talked about instant, the instant that I let go, I realized how bad I fucked up and I, I wished that I could take it back. But what stuck with me more than anything was the final uh, scene of that. And it was the most intensely graphic and not graphic in the way that he died, but graphic in where he must have been mentally because this guy's standing there, a long, dark trench coat, talking on a cell phone, smoking a cigarette. Uh, and you don't have any sound with this and the videos back a little bit ways, but he's just smoking a cigarette and he finishes a cigarette, drops it on the ground, stomps it out, closes the cell phone, stands up on the railing, turns around and just nesties backwards off the Golden Gate Bridge. Doesn't kick, doesn't flinch once. Nothing. And I remember thinking I, w I was awestruck i really was it was so powerful this guy was so committed to what he was doing that he just there wasn't any hesitation he just spun around on that rail and leaned backwards and never kicked he accepted it he, right he was there amazing so for for the the god knows how many people that maybe they're just having a bad year and like that kid who let go of the bridge and regretted it um this guy he knew that's what he wanted you know He knew that's what he wanted. So, but again, I can't put myself in that the mentality of somebody that's going through that kind of pain. I can't. And I used to, th I used to think like a lot of people do suicide is selfish, this and that. And I've grown out of that and started to really try and put myself in their shoes in that. All right. If it's that bad, then I cannot ever understand. So who am I to say it's selfish? It's you're going to do what you're going to do, you know? Yeah. It's uh, it's very sad. I just read in the news of a 17-year-old kid who took his life because he was trading options on Robinhood, oh. on that, the new trading app. Yeah. And he it, the, it, the the app actually told him that he was in debt with $700,000, <laughs> which was a mistake. He was only indebted by $10,000 or $12,000. Mm. And he ended up taking his life. I mean, imagine what a 17-year-old kid must feel like. Yeah, I can't even to begin that. to it's, imagine. I mean, talking to my to my grandfather, 
um, who's, who's long past, but um, I remember hearing stories from him talking about uh, the Great Perfect, uh, the Great Depression, and, and you know when the stock oh, market yeah. crashed because he was he was a you know a young man living in in New York, and he remembers you know people you know leaping to their death because of you know they had lost everything that they sure. had in the stock market, and they they had no idea what else to do. The uh, I, I remember thinking the only suicides that I really had a tough time swallowing after I became a skydiver was the um, couple of times that I know people have decided to take their lives skydiving. That stings, right? Yep. That's because uh, that, that's a rough one for sure. That one, I'm 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 torn. I'm really torn on that between feeling really bad that someone. It got so bad that they felt the need to take their lives and being really pissed off that they chose our sport to do it, yeah. right? Because I have uh, I have an immense amount of respect for the sport and, and um, for everything that's gone into skydiving, and I would hate to think that I would make it lessen it, you know, make it worse by doing something like that. So that I can't understand. Again, I, I, I can't put myself in their shoes, but it that one stings. That's tough to... Yeah, I was on a jump with a guy that did that, um, and I had turned in tracks from the from the jump. But uh, another jumper that that we know really well was was facing this kid, and he reaches back to pull and just goes back to mm. you know to box position and all the way to the all the way to the ground. And the same jumper, you know, was a, saw what happened and you know went there and and landed and sure. and was the first one to see it. And he's like, it, it's something that you can never unsee. And, I think, and it's horrible because I mean it. Deeply um, impacted our sport at that, sure. at that particular that drop zone. Well, I remember f- um, one of the one of the times that skydiving humor <laughs> was so in my face um, was actually with the suicide, and I, I forget the drop zone. I want to say Paris Valley, but uh, it could have been anywhere. Uh, and uh, um, it was a guy that uh, decided he was going to kill himself and uh, tracked down the runway. I think you probably heard the story. He literally aims straight down the runway to track down the runway, impacts on the runway, yep. and bounces a couple of times down the runway. And in skydiver fashion, they nicknamed him Skip. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> you got to fucking, you yep. got to have a it's, sense of humor about that. humor. Right? I mean, it, you have to. But so how do you find people in the real world or do you find people in the real world um, have a difficult time dealing with your humor and has your coping mechanisms uh, because of the death that we've seen over the years has it kind of alienated you from people because i know it has with me for me i separate it so i i know the people that i can be myself with the people that have that have experienced as much of it as we have mm. so i'm a little bit more you know with with you two guys in the room with with nicole i can be a little bit more myself and just kind of deal with it my own way sure when it comes to families of of lost you know, friends and stuff like yeah. that, then, or, or even people in the real world that, that go through it a little bit differently than what we do. I kind of give them a different version of myself for sure. And I, I kind of just, I'm quiet and whatever, you know, I, I don't deal with it the same way with other people as I do with, with my close friends and with my family. I generally don't mix the two either, mm. but, uh, where I really fucked up was, uh, <laughs> after my father passed away mm. and, and it, it was a long, horrible death. He had a stroke and it, you know, I was in the hospital for almost a month and mm. then passed away uh, soon thereafter when he got home. And so I'd been dealing with this, had been processing this with my family, with my immediate family, with my mother, my brothers. And uh, we went back home to bury him. 
And after that, that same night, we were basically in a family gathering of, you know, uh, you know, there were probably about 20 people or so. Mm. And in my skydiving humor self, I'm like, all right, let's roast his ass. <laughs> and let's start. And everybody's jaw dropped to the ground. And they're like, what the fuck, dude? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, come on. Let's, you know, let's let's celebrate his life. Let's laugh at the things he used to do that were funny. Yeah. The, the mistakes he made. Yeah. And everybody looked at me like I was insane. So, yeah, sometimes it doesn't. Every once in a while, right? And that's why you, you keep it separate. Yep. Well, and I've even found, though, um, just in in day-to-day life, in what I find funny in TV and movies and stuff like that, my humor has changed. My ability to to view and and deal with things like that has changed as well. Like, I remember before I was a skydiver, the movie Pulp Fiction Mm -hmm. freaked me out. I didn't like it. Like, it was way too dark. And now, Jesus, that's like watching Lady and the Tramp, you know I mean? Yeah, let's watch fucking Pulp Fiction and the needle in the chest stuff, you know? So the shit that I used to think was really fucking dark now is not quite so dark because I guess now I understand where that humor comes from as a coping mechanism for... Bring out the camp. Yeah, right? <laughs> I'm right here. Stop right? talking about me. It's, yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, it's strange. <laughs> Plus, I suppose it also depends on on how you view your own mortality, right? Um, I'm not a uh, I, I don't I'm not a person of faith, so my mortality is a very strange thing for me to contemplate because I really don't I don't know if there's a plan mm-hmm. after the fact. So for me, um, it, it, I'm I'm not a big fan of dealing with my own mortality. I, in fact, I remember somewhere it being said. Um, Thinking about uh, your own death is like staring at the sun. You can do it only for a very little while, yeah. right? Yeah, absolutely. It's a very strange thing. And I've had it wake me up in the middle of the night and two o'clock in the morning, I'm going for a fucking jog because I need to just shake off whatever just tapped me on the shoulder. And I think that's another part of it too is, right, we deal with it so often that how do you get away from thinking about your own mortality? I guess my way, most, you know, monotheistic religions mm. look at death in terms of, uh, hey, thank you, <laughs> look at our death in terms of heaven and hell, right? Right. And, you know, if you die, if you're bad, you'll go to hell. If you're good, you'll go to heaven. My perception is slightly different. Mm. It's all about what happens on this earth. Mm. If you live a happy life, if you wake up every morning and you're stoked and you love your life and you love your family and you love what you're doing, guess what? You're in heaven. If you wake up every day miserable, kicking the cat, and you're, you know, yelling at everybody in traffic on your way to work, and you can't stand your life, you're in hell. Sure. So for me, it's make the best of your life now. Sure. Live in the now. Make the most most of it now. Sure. And you don't have to think about death. Yeah, fair enough. Just, you know, to hell well, with there's it. been more than one time I've seen you and gone, "That's a chipper motherfucker right there." <laughs> Because you really are very upbeat quite a lot. He always is. Every yeah. time I see him, he's always got that big smile on his yeah, face. Yeah, absolutely, which is a fantastic thing. And it it, it uh, pushes people to try and behave the same way. I tend to be a little bit on the rougher side. Well, here's the thing. <laughs> this is the way I look at it. You know, there's always both sides of the spectrum. Mm. There's always someone who's got it better than you. Sure. But God knows there's a lot of people that have it worse than right. you. Right. And that's how I have to look at it. Sure. 
my perspective is, guess what? There's so many people out there that have it so much worse than me yep. that I have to be happy. I have to smile. Sure. So I'm not I'm not looking to to the side of the people that have more and better and so on and so forth. Right. And I don't dwell on looking at the people that have less. I try to just look at the middle road. Sure. See what I have. Be content. Be be grateful mm. for what I have. And and in, and by being grateful in this life, try to share that gratitude with all those around me. Sure, sure. How about you? It's a great way to look at it. It's great to look at you. I love it when you look at me. He's a <laughs> sexy thing, isn't he? Um, I mean, I just I just live live my life. Yeah. Um, scared I'm, to die? No, I'm not scared to die. I don't think. Um, apprehensive. I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm definitely apprehensive about. It. I don't want to. Sure. Um, but I know that no matter what we do, that's coming for all of us, right? It's, what, you know, what's the old saying? Like nobody gets out of this life alive. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. So I mean, I, I, I try to live my life. I think, I think I do a pretty good job of it most days. Um, if, uh, if there was a pill you could take and death was no longer on the table, would you take the pill? Probably. I would. Yeah, for oh, sure. Yeah. For sure. I'd have a lot of fun with that. And I don't know how I feel about that because I get bored relatively easily. So I can't imagine if I had eternity to deal with. Right. Um, I think we're in a, a unique time in you know human history where we're reaching for the stars now. So the uh, the idea of living a dramatically longer life than we normally do is a bit more attractive because, because uh, um, there's going to be so much more than just this little ball we've got. But I don't know. Forever seems like a long time. Well, here's the thing. For me, I'm not uh, talking about those in that pill, but I'm not scared of dying. Mm. I'm scared of being paralyzed in a bed, being alive right. with a ventilator right. in my mouth. That that I'm scared of. So when you with say- With a nurse named Buck who likes to you know, rent <laughs> out for, for a couple bucks at a time. Yeah, nurse what are we doing a tar- Are we doing a Tarantino thing here? Nurse Is Ratchet. <laughs> nurse Ratchet all the way. All right. But, but at the end of the day, so if you're telling me, would you take that pill? Yeah, but but. but but as long as you, that pill will take care of that also, then sure. yeah. Otherwise, hell no. Well, you know, somebody uh, it was was it a book or something that uh, um, the idea of living forever means that risks um, become not worth taking very quickly because of how much more you have to risk. So us as mortal men that are going to live, if we're lucky, a hundred years, um, we're risking. You know, for some of us. We're risking 30, 40, 50 years. Whereas if you've got the option to live 500 years or a thousand years, you're risking a fuckload more if, you know, you're the spry 50 year old going out and doing stupid shit. It's like the, uh, what is it? The, the Tom Cruise movie <laughs> where, he, where he dies like a hundred times. Right. Yeah. It's actually when I decided I liked him as an actor. Yeah, <laughs> It's, I mean, it's a strange thing, right? I mean, cause uh, all the skydivers that I know are so in love with life and so passionate about what they're doing. Uh, when they're jumping and when they're doing their thing, but you never know what happens once the sun goes down and everybody goes back to their own homes. And so it's, well, that's life, isn't it? Everybody, yeah. everybody has an amazing life on social media. You look at Facebook, everybody's life is either amazing or they're, they're saying condolences for somebody being lost or sure. something else. But the majority of people on there, you look on it, they have this amazing life oh, it's and, a show. And, and it's a show for everybody else. Instagram's a show for everybody else, but exactly that you don't. And this, this comes back to the suicide talk that we were talking about before, you don't know what's going on with those people when, when it's behind closed doors. What was one of the posts that I've seen quite a few times now was everyone's fighting a battle that you can't see. So, you know, be nice type of thing, which is completely true. I know we all are for sure. All of us. are. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it, and that's, um, you kind of forget that sometimes 
for sure. And then unfortunately a tragedy happens that everybody remembers for that little while. And that's the one thing that I noticed that happens, especially when it's a, a death in a community, but it's just a little bit nicer for a while. How long is long enough? Right. It doesn't always last. You know, how long do you keep that black uh, picture? On right. Your, on your, uh, I think that's probably why. Or the people that put the black picture that never even knew the person. They're just doing it for the social media side of things. See, now that's the thing I don't understand. I don't I understand. I was going to fire him up with this one. Yeah. yeah <laughs> I, and I don't understand this. No, and maybe you guys right. can either shine some light on it or, or you're just as frustrated as me. Is What kind of thrill do, do people get out of giving fucking horrible news to people? I don't know. I, I try to look at it from a positive angle. So I just think that they like you enough that they want to feel your pain. They want to share your pain and they want to sympathize with you. That's that's my outlook on it. You are a I mean, chipper guy. <laughs> if it's if it's somebody that if it's somebody that I'm close to, I don't mind getting that. That's that different. Call, I don't mind getting that that message, but it should be something that's private. Yeah. Right. If uh, like like when you when you sent me the message and I and I read the news like, oh, fuck. Well, and it's but then it's like, OK, this is coming from from you know brother to brother saying sure. you know what's going on and and knowing the fact that that i was close with the person and, and whatever else and it's not something that's a bragging it's not it's not out there for to 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 be make yourself more popular sure you know what i mean sure well uh, and i had a great example um you'd never met him but uh, a friend of of juniors and mine and a super close friend of mine a guy by the name of zach uh had passed away just five years ago now five fucking years he's been gone been that long five years five wow. years it goes by so quick Crazy. um but he he worked with us and was flying with us and and being the way that i am everybody knew that he had passed away and everybody knew how close he and i were but i wasn't going to go talk about it it was just it was the very next day i had to go to work and go fly and i was kind of keeping to myself and uh, um bless him this motherfucker wouldn't let me walk away from it micah comes mm-hmm. walking out of the building and sees me and he's not going to post anything on social media. He's not going to do any of that bullshit. He just walks over and forces me into a hug that I fucking did not want. Didn't want it. Just gives me a big hug. And say, we all loved him too. And of course, now I walk away with tears streaming down my face. But I look back at that and that's probably one of my favorite memories of Micah is that he's like, he didn't, he made sure nobody else was around. This was not for him to look like the cool guy that was giving condolences to somebody. This is because that's what he wanted to do. And I remember that vividly and had nothing but respect from him for doing that and doing it that way. And then he just walked away. It was not a, let's talk about this. What can I do for you? It was a, there you go. I've given this to you. I'm leaving. And then he was back to being fucking Micah. (laughs) So... That's that's kind of the way it should be. Not the black square for somebody that you didn't even know. Not the social media bullshit that Tracy Baum will to this day want to knife people for. You know, it's that personal one-on-one the, stuff that I think we've lost. That, the one picture that everybody gets off the internet and posts the same fucking picture because that's all they could find. <sighs> yes. Yes. When they dig through profiles to try and find a picture that they can post for sure. Yeah. I almost think that that's why Facebook put on the temporary profile picture shit. Is so your question about what's enough? Well, I guess this he was a temporary picture. Ten, ten days, seven seven days or ten days is enough apparently. It's and I suppose it doesn't. And I, and it, this is not to say that it's bad to show respect on social media because it's not. It's not. Absolutely sure. not. You do it respectfully. You do it after the family's been notified. You're not the first one to post shit out there, and you do it in a respectful way and in a personal way, but not just a. 
hey, I know this guy died too. Give me attention. Because that's what it seems like, right? Is that a lot of people want attention for someone else's pain. Well, let me let me ask you guys this question. What emotions come up when you see the difference in reactions when someone who's a living legend dies mm-hmm. versus someone who is a great friend, skydiver, who dies? To us, they're both equal. Yeah. To us, they're both identical. You you probably knew one even longer than you knew the other. Yeah. And yet you see all this outcry yeah. for one and not the other. Yeah. Yep. No, I agree. I agree. It's, it's, uh, but that's always how it's going to be. Unfortunately, there's always going to be this weird back and forth. And this person had all these, uh, accolades and accomplishments. And so they're going to be lavished with attention after they're gone. And this guy was just a tandem instructor that threw drogues. And yeah, so it's tough. It's, right? it's hard to swallow. It is. It's hard to deal with to a certain extent. It is. Cause you kind of want to go, Hey, look, Right. Look at this person. This person was fucking amazing. But that's where it, and I think that's probably why people like you and I make it such a personal thing, because if you don't, it's just going to piss you off. You're just going to get bitter about it, I think. About the. Yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit bitter about that shit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man. I, mean, I think tell, we all are. Tell us how you know. I mean, I mean, it is. I, I just I'm, I'm bitter at this point. The fact that, like I said before, that, you know, you've got to send a, a personal message to somebody. Hey, what the fuck are you doing posting? Sure stop sure and now like i mean the last the last couple you know um i've talked with with my wife nicole and i just i just bite my tongue and i just i just shut off social media for a couple of days and i don't look at it anymore yeah yeah just well i just, it just it's just gonna make me angry it's just i just scroll off. past and then there's the other ones that you're you're happy that you're you're seeing that these people are being um memorialized but you you kind of wish that they were getting those accolades when they were still around yeah. right for sure yeah. you know that's I think about that a lot as well as and I'm sure everybody does like with Kevin he and I had lost touch uh, over the years and we just recently started speaking again in fact I was pushing him hard to try and get him on the podcast because it would have been a fucking hilarious podcast I wish I knew that I would have pushed him as well oh, dude all the stupid shit that he and I did together it would have been fucking funny and that's why half of the morning that I've spent with Kevin has been laughing because I'm yeah. like oh my god we did this and we did that and his wife has been sending me pictures and logbook entries from back in the day and lucky enough for me all the logbooks and photos that she has from his career are during my time so it's our climbing stuff and our stupid balloon jumps over state all these ridiculous things and so that kind of stuff makes it really easy and it kind of makes it uh, i am able to be a little bit more lighthearted about it you know um but you'd wish that you had been able to go while he's still alive and tell him all the things that i'm thinking now and it's difficult right yeah and, and Everybody says, tell people you love them while they're here. That's difficult too, right? Because sometimes you're just fucking pissed off at somebody. Sometimes this person that you were as close to as can possible, you've drifted apart. And it's tough to pick up that phone and go, hey, I know we don't talk anymore, but, you know. Yeah, and that's a that's a rough thing. I mean, I think as skydivers, we're, we're pretty fucking close. Sure. You know, we... we as safe as we, as it is, we risk our lives on every on every skydive we do with somebody. We trust them enough to risk our life with them. Sure. So we're close, and when that when we we have that separation, and you know, I'm guilty as as anybody else with losing track of of some of, of, my, of some of my my best friends in the entire world, or um, it goes I go you know months or maybe even years without talking to them. Sure. Um, you know, a if you're one of those people, I still love you. Um, I'm sorry. I'm such. Right. A, I'm sorry. I'm such an <laughs> asshole. If you're listening to this, um, but it is. It's, it makes it even that much more difficult if that person's taken too soon. Sure. 
Well, it's it's um, I equate that to uh, way, way, way back in another life. I used to promote raves in San Francisco and you would have the greatest friends in the world that you would only see at those parties. You would never speak outside the party, probably wouldn't even recognize them if you didn't bump into them at a party. But at those parties, greatest human beings ever. I only remember one girl as make a monster noise because she would make you make a monster noise before (laughs) she would talk to you. Don't know her name. Amazing person at these parties. Well, skydivers are a lot like that. At the drop zones, at the boogies, the greatest people in the world. And you sincerely feel that and sincerely think that. And then as soon as that party is over, they won't cross your mind again until you're shocked to be standing in front of them at the next boogie or the next drop zone. And it doesn't minimize it, but it makes it really weird when all of a sudden they're gone, right? It makes it very tough for sure. Yeah, because, I mean, how do you define a close friend? Is a close friend someone that you have that relationship in very small doses with? Yeah, I think so. I don't have to know your parents' history to consider you a close friend. So, it, But it's really, again, that's very strange, and it's a very hard thing to equate to the, the real world and the non-Scotters and all that. So it's, yeah. You know, how many times have I written to people and said, bro, even though we haven't talked in God right. knows how many years, and even though we don't write to each other every day in post messages, yep. you know I love you, and yep. I love you dearly, and you're just one of those people that will forever be in my heart, yep. and it's genuine, yeah. but it's true. Time goes by, and sometimes it's months, sometimes it's years, yep. but the love is still there. Sure. Well, and that's the strange thing. That's the, that's the positive side to social media, though, right? The connection to people that you otherwise would not be able to talk to at all. I just had a friend from high school contact me literally two days ago. Amazing, right? Um, that I haven't spoken to in years. And he sent he sent me a message like, oh man, you know, your friend requested me and yeah. he just got on. I'm like, oh, welcome to the, the you know, book of faces. Yeah. And I haven't talked to him in years, but it's, it's amazing for that side of social media to be able to connect with somebody that you haven't talked to in so long. Sure. That, sure. Is, that is a good point. That yeah. is definitely the plus and the best thing that can come out. Yeah, for out sure. Of, uh, social media. For sure. Well, I think that's actually a positive way to kind of end the the conversation um, in regard to all the sad stuff that we've talked about. Is social media, for all its faults, is a great way to reach out to those people that you only see at the business and only see at the party. So if you haven't talked to somebody, go do it. Just send, send somebody a message and tell them you love them. And now, right yeah. now. And even if it's not a specific message, if you if you don't know who you don't remember, because there's that many of them, just putting out that blanket message of going, hey, all you people, even if I can't remember the situations, it's a big deal, right? I mean, the, the reason that I'm able to handle the loss of Kevin as well as I am is because he started swimming and reached out. One of the reasons that Zach was so hard for me is because he died before we inevitably would have been brothers. So it's it's tough, right? So yeah, take that time. Just put that post Send that message. Do whatever you do. Otherwise, be safe. Don't have be fun. Make smart decisions. Yes, please. Don't be the next one. And there will be next. Yeah, we all know. For those that are just getting into skydiving, if if this uh, conversation was a little bit shocking to you. That kind of sucks, but welcome to the world that you've chosen. It's going to happen. It's going to happen more than once. And there's no guarantees of how you're going to deal with it, but you are going to deal with it. But you're not going to deal with it. You have people look up to you and talk to you. Cool. Be, be more like Omar. Oh, uh, be a lot more like Omar. Yeah.
I'm trying. I'm, I'm, it's not working. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm channeling my inner Zen a little more every day, I, but it's, it's, it's difficult. I'm not going to lie. Every time I see Omar around, I automatically think, don't be a dick. <laughs> I think that I'm not even kidding. That's what you've done for me. I'm like, I don't want Omar to see me being a dick. I right? love you guys. Fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> and there we go. Guys, thanks for joining. <laughs> that was a good one. We'll see ya. Thank you. Well, there you have it. Another episode of the Lunatic Fringe Podcast brought to you as always by, well, wait, not as always, actually. Brought to you now by Gyro. Formerly known as NZ Aerosports, you'll head to gyro.com for their next level line of canopies. By Pussfoot, the Extreme Sports Collective. Head over to pussfoot.com to check it out. By Summit Parachute Systems, check out summitparachutesystems.com to talk to Jarrett Martin and the gang about kick-ass pilot rigs, rigging courses, and more. By Flyaway Indoor Skydiving, go to flyawaytn.com and check out all the cutting-edge stuff to come. By Pure Spectrum CBD, head to purespectrumcbd.com to check out their wide range of CBD products. And as for us, head to the lunaticfringepodcast.com to listen to any of the hundreds of episodes currently available, hit the link for our YouTube channel, pick up your copy of the Lunatic Fringe book or The Accidental Stripper, and get a sneak peek at upcoming guests. Once again, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.